Welcome, everyone, to the .NET MAUI podcast. We're here to keep you up to date with the latest and greatest in .NET client development. We'll talk about some Azure, some Visual Studio, some Blazor, and, of course, .NET MAUI. I'm Matt Sogup, and today we have a special episode. We're going to talk with Polaris, a company who is upgrading their app from Xamarin to .NET MAUI, and we're going to talk about their experience doing that. And, of course, we have two guests to take us through that whole process. So, Swiki, let's start with you. Awesome. Thanks for having us, Matt. Hi, everyone. I'm Sweeky, and I am part of the .NET Customer Advisory Team. Uh, and uh, I work on helping folks who are working on .NET MAUI apps, and specifically with Polaris, I've been helping folks who are migrating their Xamarin apps to .NET MAUI. And I'm going to hand it over to Tom from the Polaris team. Hey, thanks for having me back again, guys. It's great to be back on. I'm Tom. I work at Polaris for probably the last six or seven years or so, I'm one of the lead mobile app developers on our team. Uh, we've had a Xamarin Forms app, app for many years, and we're in the process of migrating that over. So really excited to talk about our experience and, and how things uh, have been going. Cool. Now, Tom, you mentioned a while back that we are, a while back we did have you on the show to talk about Polaris and your app. So Polaris itself is a company that does like snowmobiles and all-terrain vehicles and such. So let's explain to our listeners, one, what Polaris is, and two, why in the world does somebody like Polaris who creates vehicles need a Xamarin or now a .NET MAUI application? Yeah, great question, right? You hit the nail on the head. We produce vehicles. So we like to think of Polaris as Santa's workshop for, for grown-ups. We make snowmobiles. We make ATVs, side-by-sides. Um, we're now into the boats and pontoon arena, too. I mean, anything you can do outdoors that in, involves an engine, um, we're there. You know, So that's a big part of what we do. So at the core of it, Polaris is a manufacturing organization, manufacturing team. But the reason we needed an app is we found that people were buying snowmobiles or ATVs and not knowing where they could ride safely or legally. So that's a big area as far as like these, you know, state departments and other trail organizations who who get grants to create trails. They get access from landowners. You know, if you ride in the wrong spot, an entire section of trail could be removed, you know, impacting this trail network. So that's why we wanted to produce a free app. For anyone, whether you're a player's rider or any competitor rider, to open the app, go to your state and see all the legal and safe riding opportunities in your state. So that's been a huge hit. Um, the app has always been free, still is today, and we have a huge growing group of, of people that use it. From trails, we added other features like, hey, where did I ride? You know, Let me track my ride, kind of like Strava, and show a, a line on the map of where I went. Let me share that with my friends or to the community. So people can find cool riding opportunities in their local area. So it just spiraled from there. Now we're working on all kinds of cool, like connected vehicle features too. Like, hey, you know, what's my battery health? Um, you know, do I need gas? You know, what's my tire pressure? That kind of stuff. So it's been really exciting. Well, that's super cool. You have an app that's kind of like, like you said, all or <laughs> Strava, <laughs> and. Like something like all trails, so you can mm-hmm. kind of find the trails and 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 uh, make sure you're not crossing over private land. And there there's some kind of comment like Tom, you're from Minnesota, if I remember correctly. Yeah. I'm originally from Wisconsin, and there's the old joke from way back in the day, from like the early '90s, that anybody who rides a snowmobile or an ATV 
doesn't follow the rules. You do whatever you want as soon as you yeah. do that. But now, Tom, you're making them follow the rules. Good for you. That's exactly what we want. You're making everybody hey, do the right do thing. You know, in Minnesota, <laughs> the, the, the trail groups, they always make these signs that are very poignant. They say, ride on the trails or we'll lose it. So that's the whole exactly. idea here. Like, let's, yep. let's exactly. make this good for everyone in the future so we can all enjoy it more. Exactly. I mean, it's both for private landowners and wildlife, too, I suppose, that you want to have mm-hmm. these trails going through. Through and so everything is everything is cool. So, yeah. why did you start uh, migrating? Why did you choose to go from Xamarin Forms over to .NET Maui? Well, I I think because the technology changed. You know, uh, once Microsoft made the the announcement that they were investing in this in the next evolution of it, that really piqued our interest. You know, we've been using Xamarin Forms since I think version one point four probably. So <laughs> we've been a fan of it for a long time. We've gone through some of the growing pains too. You know, really loved Xamarin Forms five. That was a great upgrade for us. Probably one of the smoothest we've ever done. So. We're always just looking for the future. You know, Polaris is definitely an innovator in all the markets that they play. So we're looking to innovate too. So we're interested in that. We're interested in performance improvements for sure. The idea of having a single project where you could have all of your image assets in one place is really appealing to us because we we skin this salmon form same code base three different ways for three different brands. So we've got just a ton of image assets. So things like that are really appealing to us. Um, that, that really made it something that we want to go for. Oh man, that sounds super awesome. Makes me feel really happy. Um, I'm also curious, um, the, when you first heard the announcement and we've had a couple of other conversations like uh, around this too, but um, was there any, like, what were you thinking? Like, oh, there's net six, there's net six previews and there's net seven. And then coming from like a .NET, you know, shop like you guys are um was there like any excitement about like oh yeah it's all going to be just tied in with the net eight release cycle like the dot net release cycles now that's going to be great but did that also sort of help push this decision forward yeah i think so too you know i i saw that as more of microsoft's investment in the xamarin technology that they're rolling it into be part of dot net no longer a standalone thing too so that gives us confidence that there's going to be regular releases every year that we can you know um, we can depend on to similar like we're, we're updating each you know ios and android platform every year too we can expect mm-hmm. new versions of dot net and keep moving things forward at that that cadence that's really appealing to me to have a regular cadence that we can depend on to do our updates because it's something we need to plan for each year. You know, we're busy building so many features that we need to plan for these next next releases and next upgrades. Cool. So when you're going through this, Tom, what mean and the team and, and the and your team, what were some of the 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 cost benefit analysis? What were some of the risks that you took on when you went from Xamarin over to Maui? What held you back? What could have held you back? But what I think, didn't hold you back? You know, I think we were kind of all watching the timeline too. Initially, they thought Maui would be released a little bit earlier. So we're kind of like trying to pick our moment to jump in. You know, we're heavily focused on feature work, but I kind of got my eye on the pulse of, of where Maui was. And so after I think maybe like the third preview dropped or something, I, I downloaded it and started playing around with it. Went to a couple of meetups where they, you know, showed people building Hello World Maui apps, you know. So that's kind of when we we first started getting to it. And I, I think I think the biggest risk for us is we had no idea how long it would take. <laughs> 
So we're trying to cut the balance between don't start too early when things are really green, but don't start too late because you're going to bump up into this you know hard deadline next year in April too. So that was kind of a balance of when to get started and also, you know, how to allocate the correct resources to this too. You know, so far it's mostly been me and Sweeky working on it as well too. So it's kind of a ramp up phase of, of when to get started and then when to add more resources to get, uh, to get a lot of traction. Nice, nice. That's that's great to hear. Um, sorry, Matt. I just had a follow up question to ask there too. Um, when you were looking, um, uh, uh, and of course, uh, it was, it's been great collaborating with you guys. It's been a lot of learning for our team as well. Watching uh, you migrate such a big app. Um, just to give uh, everyone who's listening just an idea, can we? Can you just give us like a high level overview of like the app? Uh, and like why these, like, you know, the considerations that went in because of like, you know, it's like, it's a big app. How is it architected? So, you know, we have a bit of context as we start discussing the meatier things about the migration. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a huge app. You know, we've been working on it for, I think eight years in the Xamarin forms version. I think before that it was a different cross-platform framework too. So we've been adding a lot of stuff. You know, we have 12 developers that are working full-time on this, adding features. So as you can imagine, the code base changes quite a bit. So when I started this migration project, we were about 450,000 lines of code. About 88% of that was shared code. So that made it a really great, great value for, for using Xamarin Forms on iOS and Android. Um, we also have a ton of third-party dependencies, partially because of how much the app does, but also mm-hmm. because I think the age, we added a lot of those, you know, NuGet packages early on to kind of get us to the next level. So, you know, one of the biggest um, third-party libraries we use is Mapbox. The the map is the app is primarily a mapping app to show your trails and your content and stuff on the map surface. So that's really a big big um, uh, library for us too. Cool. So you you mentioned Mapbox. So that's that's going to be one of your dependencies there. So how did you mm-hmm. deal with that from Xamarin to Maui? Did you run into anything, or did it just work? It did not just work, uh, <laughs> as you can imagine. It took a little took a little finesse. Uh, you know, between Mapbox and all the other, other dependencies, we probably have thirty to forty different libraries that we keep up to date. You know, we we do quarterly analysis of them to see if we want to update them. So when we first started this, that was the first step that that Sweeping team advised us to to get a good handle on all our dependencies and understand those paths forward. Can those work with .NET Maui? Are they um, compatible with .NET 6 or do you need to retarget them? So we identified about four or five kind of packages we thought would be tricky and Mapbox was definitely one of those. So we went through the process of retargeting those binding projects to support .NET 6 and be compatible with our .NET MAUI app. Yep, that is correct. There's also... um, uh, if if anyone listening is considering migrating the app, like the steps that we recommend is first and foremost, make sure your Xamarin app is on the latest, greatest Xamarin Forms version, which the Polaris team was completely on top of. So that was awesome. They were already using the most recent version of Xamarin Forms and using all the newest APIs, which made the migration like super easy uh, because they were already using all the new stuff. And then, yes, the second step was now go through your dependencies and, uh, check what has support. And um, I, I was just looking at some NuGet packages yesterday. There's actually a lot of third-party packages that have added uh, .NET MAUI support now, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
uh, you should definitely just have a look at their GitHub pages, have a look at their, uh, you know, NuGet, uh, uh, the actual NuGet postings and check. Um, they A lot of packages are adding support like as recent as last week. So um, it's, it's looking much, much better out there. And uh, as Tom mentioned, there were a few that we found out and like they did not have support yet. And uh, I have to say, Tom was very enthusiastic about joining the mad journey, which is let's update binding projects with me. And yeah, so we split up the work and uh, it was really great because uh, we, uh, this was the first few times we didn't even have docs for that yet. So it was like, oh, let's see if we can get this project to, you know, migrate. So um, that was really awesome. Uh, we were actually did not really like Tom did, what i think you did like three or four of them yourself and mm-hmm. i just yeah. like i was focused on mapbox but yeah tom uh, went ahead and like brave frontier leader and went ahead and did a few of the upgrades himself and yeah tom would you want to share a little bit about how it was uh, migrating those binding projects yeah it's funny to think about them now in the past because before we had kind of this idea that that squeaky told me it's like oh yeah you can just you know fork the github project since it's open source and retarget it, and it should work. And that was just seemed like this black magic kind of thing to me, looking back on it. But but in reality, it, was, it actually turned out to be pretty straightforward. You know, we have um, one of the third party packages we use is really popular called Branch IO. So you can send someone a link, a deep link into your app to to show content or whatever. So that was one of those um, third party libraries that didn't have any planned um, Maui support, .NET six support when we reached out to them last year, last fall. Um, so that might have even changed now, but that was one of the examples that we, we took on. So since all the code was open source, it was a matter of forking it, converting the project to an SDK style project, which most people are probably already using um, if you have made any new .NET projects in the last couple of years. And then you select which target framework you want. In our case, it was going to be uh, both for iOS and Android. So usually there was you know two binding projects, one for each platform. And then it was a process of just fixing the build errors um, that came through. Um, you know, so that, that ended up being pretty straightforward for the most part. We had a couple tricky ones that Speaky and I worked on, some tricky build errors, or things that were just a little bit different in .NET 6 compared to you know, the previous target framework they were using. But it ended up being pretty smooth. Um, one of the things we did, too, that really helped was in the solution that held our binding projects is to add a really simple, straightforward .NET MAUI app that exercised our binding project. So that consumed the, the retargeted binding project, or DLL, and allowed us to fully exercise that binding right there in that solution. And if we had issues, we could just really easily step through the binding code and see what was up. So that was pretty great. Um, it helped us work out kinks ahead of time because you know once you start the app migration process, your app's not going to build for a while. So you don't really know if the binding, the migrated or retargeted bindings are working for you. So having that in a, a, a demo or a testbed app was really crucial to have too. Classic squeaky, always thinking about testing. So let me, <laughs> let me, let me, let me, um, let me get my mind around this. So you're still using the binding as it was before, but you're just do, upgrading the binding project to uh, net yeah. six. That's right. Yeah, we're retargeting okay. it. So in the okay. project file, you specify which target frameworks you're interested in. So it was a matter of retargeting it, uh, retargeting it to .NET six or .NET seven is what we ended up going with, and then fixing build errors and, and namespace or whatever changes came from that. 
Gotcha. Okay, so that's 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 nice. So you didn't really have to break out objective sharpie <laughs> at no. all. Oh yeah. See, that's what I was afraid of, right? Because we also had a few <laughs> API changes that came in, yes. and I was like, oh no, we might have to rewrite some of this actual binding code. So the way this worked out was the binding that so the project that Tom forked was a working Xamarin binding project. So that was working. It built and it ran against a Xamarin app. That's like the first thing you want to make sure. So if that binding project is working, then you just do all the steps that Tom just talked about, you know, fork it, uh, uh, retarget it, put the new project style SDK if it doesn't have it, and then add the DFMs. So Net7 iOS uh, and now soon Net8 iOS, Net8 Net Android, you know, whatever you need and rebuild that project. Um, if it's a very simple and basic binding, 90% of the time, um, it should just build as is because the actual binding code itself, like your API bindings and everything stays the same. You shouldn't really have to mess around with anything because you're using the base, the base native framework that you're using stays the same. So none of that changes. All you're doing is just like retargeting and just building a newer, you know, version of that NuGet or DLL that you want to use against your Maui app. So it's, it was literally that much. Um, yeah. And um, Tom, any other learnings maybe I'm forget, like, you know, forgetting over yeah. here that we had to like do here. Do you remember what our big breakthrough was for a while? Like I retargeted the bindings and then it built just fine, but the DLL was really small, like only a couple kilobytes. And we thought that doesn't seem right. <laughs> so we added this test bed project and sure enough, it didn't work. Do you remember what the breakthrough was, Sweeky? Oh my God. I hope you do. Cause I am blanking here <laughs> as is... I do with most binding projects. Yeah. Listeners, if you're, this is the most important valuable piece of advice I have for you. We found out that we have to add this is binding project node to our CS proj file and set that to do to true. And someday this will be part of a template and you won't even think about it. But if you're in that binding world right now and your DLLs are tiny, look at that is binding project node. Do you remember That's that? That's correct. I remember now. It is a property you add to your project file. Exactly. Uh -huh. You set that to yeah. true, and then it builds your full usable DLL, which you can then go ahead and put put into a NuGet package if that's how you're right. distributing it. But that is correct. Yes, that was the kicker. Um, yeah. So like I said, um, Tom was super helpful. He was very patient. And uh, uh, all of the learnings that we have from this, we're actually putting together into a, a, a official doc. So you will be seeing those soon. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's also a meetup here locally in the Twin Cities. And I presented um, how to retarget these binding projects or third-party libraries. It works for those libraries too. So there's a, a YouTube recording that's posted on my YouTube channel. If anyone wants to take a look at that, there's some, some good tips and we kind of walk through just doing a basic um, binding project and retargeting it and, and what can go wrong, um, how to fix those kind of things. Nice. We'll link to that. Uh, you, we'll link to your YouTube cha channel, Tom. And uh, cool. of course, we'll uh, link to the documentation, Swiki, as soon as you get that done. And you mm -hmm. read my mind. I was going to say that the docs are open sourced. So mm -hmm. anybody could put a pull request into them. And <laughs> thank you for updating them, Swiki. Love it. So long as we're talking about um, tweaking, uh, it, we're talking about migration overall, but long as we're deep, uh, down deep into it and uh, talking about updating the uh, the TFMs, what did you run into, Tom, when you changed to uh, the iOS TFM uh, specifically uh, I think, uh, in your project I think files? This, yeah, I think this came up in the the... the 
a meetup talk I did too, is some of the attributes in the, I can't remember what type of file it was, some of the attributes in the actual binding project files themselves were no longer available. So we had to kind of rework that a little bit. So it's almost like some API changed in .NET 6 and the attributes were slightly different. So that was one of the things we ran into. Small DLLs was a second one. Trying to think what else we ran into. I um, think that was about it. And I think uh, we just like uh, the initialization code oh, yeah. for your binding. Yeah. So now we have this wonderful thing called the Maui program file, which is the uh, initial starting point for your for your apps, right? So everything now starts via the Maui program.cs file. And then inside of that, you'll see, you know, the Maui app builder. Um, so I think the small other change that we had to like uh, look into was, uh, again, this is completely dependent on what the project, like the, the library does. But if there's any sort of initialization code that has to be done uh, for that um, library, um, you you uh, you want to look into seeing if there was something that was happening previously in your app delegate or in your in your main application or something that now has to happen in the Maui app builder code. So um, uh, and uh, honestly, as like as of today, there's a bunch of like open sourced ones you can look at. You can I looked at Red's um, zebra crossing library and I saw how he did those initializations and that's how you know we use that as our reference point and then we figured out how to do it for the libraries that Tom was binding. So um, uh, yeah, it's like all the resources are out there and like I said, we are putting it also into a doc. So. Uh, but if you are at the moment struggling, have a look at other libraries that have already like. Um, then uh, they migrated, you know, uh, migrated libraries for .NET uh, 6, 7, 8, and .NET MAUI support. Have a look at their GitHub, you know, and see how they're doing it. And you should, if there's something you're stuck in, I'm pretty sure if you just look at what they're doing, and oh, yeah, that's how you have to do it. So, yeah, if there's initialization stuff, you want to make sure you're doing it now in the MAUI app builder is another thing we learned. Right, yeah, good call. I think apart from that, the only thing that tripped us up is, you know, a lot of these old libraries have assembly info, like an assembly info file, all that mm-hmm. stuff goes in the, the CS or the SDK style project now. So just kind of small things like that for the most part. It was actually surprisingly smooth. I hate to say once we got all the small pieces in place, uh, there weren't a lot of issues that we ran into. And as uh, Swiki, you did mention uh, Red's Zebra Crossing Library, which is John Dick's uh, barcode scanner. Yep. library so yep. yep and it's always good to just go in and uh yeah check out what other people are doing and it's a lot of times it's just oh yeah it's just that, that's Ooh. that's easy why didn't i think about that and it kind of standing on the shoulders of somebody else so right. a lot of people are along those same lines too a lot of people are making compatibility packages too like one of the difficult third-party libraries we thought would be tricky was ff image loading that was old didn't have a path to dotnet 6 but Jonathan Dick made a compatibility version of it too. So that's out there as well. Um, if you want a stepping stone, you know, a lot of what you need out of FF image loading, you can probably get in the built-in .NET MAUI image control now because that does image caching. So you could probably switch over to that eventually, but it could be a good stepping stone as you go through your migration. Nice. So let's talk about the upgrade assistant. And did you use that for any part of the... Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I actually, I did, you know, I think I tried it early on and then there was a big update back in, um, probably November. I'm trying to think when we did this, maybe early this year. Early we're this year. De- yeah. 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 We're working on dependencies first and then probably January or February, we started on iOS. 
So I have the Mac CLI tool um, installed and I, I ran the portable project, um, which is mostly the Xamarin form stuff and also our iOS project through the migration assistant. And that did quite a, a, a number of things. Um, we, I think we kind of went through and categorized things that it could do better, but for the most part, it was a pretty good experience. It took a while to go through all the prompts, you know, you're typing, yes, 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 yes. I think I did it while I was eating dinner. Um, but <laughs> at the end, you have this, you know, semi-migrated app, which is kind of cool. It did a lot of stuff in the project structure, I think, which was nice for us. Um, and then you kind of go on to the, the build onion, which is next, the aired onion. Oh, man. Yeah. Before before we do go into that, um, just about Upgrade Assistant. Um, yeah. Uh, like This is Tom's experience from like earlier this year. But if you download it now tons of new uh you know performance improvements made to this first of all like what tom just mentioned it does run on your mac now so you can use it on windows as well as mac the cli version um it does uh it does do your xaml namespace changes it'll do your basic namespace changes and uh it's pretty thorough in the steps that it does now um and uh what uh, and David just informed me the other day was uh, David actually ran the upgrade assistance against like a very basic, a uh, very simple binding project that he had. And he said upgrade assistant actually did the job for him. It made oh, all nice. the, yeah, it did like the project changes and he didn't have too many big, like I said, it was a very basic um, binding project. So not too many like API things to mess around with. And yeah, he was like, uh, upgrade assistant just did the job for him. So uh, good news all around when it comes to upgrade assistant. And um, there's also the, there is a VS, like a Visual Studio for Windows extension that is being worked on to make, uh, if you're not comfortable with the CLI or you're not, if you don't like using the terminal, um, the Visual Studio extension allows you to just do the same upgrade steps inside of Visual Studio. So you don't have to leave our wonderful favorite um, IDE. Um, so the MAUI support for that is ongoing. Uh, so you'll see more features light up uh, as they keep working on it. So yeah, um, definitely, definitely give Upgrade Assistant a shot. If uh, you have a very basic app, uh, I imagine it should do 90% of the heavy lifting for you. And for an app like Tom's, uh, we've had a few other customers also run uh, their apps through Upgrade Assistant. It does do a lot of the boring, you know, find and replace kind of work for you. So you can literally just focus on getting all the different features back into your app. So um I shamelessly recommend it. And uh, I believe Maddie, David also had a talk around the whole upgrade assistant and how it works uh, in build. So um, I don't know, Matt, have you guys done a build recap already? If not, we should definitely link that in the show notes. We have done a build recap, Sweeky, and I'm a little bit offended that you haven't listened to it <laughs> oh yet. Oh my God, I have so many <laughs> podcasts to catch up on. Oh my God. You, yeah, yes. I am guilty as charged. But yes, I am catching up. I have also not watched those full build things. You know, I was on vacation then in India, so I will blame it on jet lag and time zone differences. Yep. But okay. yes. Perfectly acceptable. Perfectly yes. acceptable. <laughs> yeah. So let's yeah, talk. I, does, does, or go ahead, Tom. Oh, just one other thing about the upgrade assistant. You know, there's a couple of the groups here at Polaris that are in the same boat. They've got a Xamarin Forms app. And I've advised them just like Squeaky said, you know, give it a try and see what happens. You know, it's pretty low, low risk to, to give it a, a run and it creates a backup of your project for you. So give it a try and see what you get. Nice. And I think the upgrade assistant, you can either do it side by side or have it make, make a copy of your project. And David and I were talking about it. Just Or side by side, have it make a copy of your project or do it in line. Just write everything right over. And so David and I were talking about it and we were like, you know what? Take your project out of source control forever mm -hmm. and just write over everything. You know, like you're only living once and just who cares what happens? Anyways. Sweet. 
<laughs> yeah. So anyways, so let's talk about, does the Upgrade Assistant work on custom renderers? Have you, have you tried on that? Or if not, tell me about, did, one, do you yeah. have custom renderers in there? Because custom renderers are always uh, fun. And how did, how did, what did you do? What did you do with your custom renderers if you did have them? Oh, baby. Do we ever. Um, I can't remember if the Upgrade Assistant did much with them, apart from maybe I, some namespace changes. Yeah, remember, probably Shiki? just... No, probably just namespace changes. Not nothing, nothing else. Nothing else. Yeah, our initial plan was to just use the compatibility uh, renderers out of Maui and see how it how it worked. And I think for the most part, they worked pretty well. Um, one that didn't work at all was just the content page renders. Those compatibility ones didn't work for us, so we had to convert those to page handlers and add a little block of code. Um, so those are specific, you know, not, maybe not apps, all apps have them, but we had like six of them. So that migration to, to page handlers was really super easy to do, but that causes some kind of like weirdness. Cause we weren't sure why the UI wasn't, you know, rendering correctly when we finally got there. Um, so, so that's kind of the, the first hiccup. We also have plans to to change, to migrate all of our renders to handlers because they're going to be more performant. And, you know, you just don't know when the compatibility renderers will, will, will go out of Maui, will be you know, deprecated. So we definitely want to do that work too. But so far, it hasn't been too difficult to do that migration. We've, we've done a couple of them so far. You know, some of the um, overridden methods have changed. So you have to find the compatible ones for that. Um, we had some crazy renderers too that were doing all kinds of bonkers stuff that we were able to delete. Like <laughs> speaking by remembers, <laughs> we had one for these top tabs. We've got top tabs in our app in a couple of different places. And of course there were different implementations and we were doing like crazy, like reflection things down into the Xamarin forms code base. And we ripped off a Xamarin forms renderer. So we were able to just delete all that crap, which was <laughs> just thrilling because I've never been a big fan of these custom renderers. You know, they worked but it's always kind of this like looming wonder, like what if something changes and we have to go back and touch these again? And not, not all the code that we wrote is very performant and, and good. I'd rather use out of the box stuff. So it's been really great to delete a lot of those. And just in this case, we just use the sharp NATO top tabs, which are perfectly great, everything we need. So, so that's always a joy to delete those, those code, that code. <laughs> I think yeah, in the last couple of years, we've been, we've been using effects and behaviors primarily. So these are mostly renders that have been around for, you know, five, six, seven plus years. Yep. Yep. And the effects, uh, if you follow like the migration guide that we have, the doc that is available right now, Tom, you just use the, the docs, like the steps in the docs, right? For the effects. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's right. Yep. That was pretty yes. straightforward. You register them now in your Maui program file too. Um, just like you register the compatibility handlers or, or compatibility renders and handlers. Yep. Yep. Cool. Uh, yeah. I, I like uh, probably jumping the gun a little bit, but I do also, I did enjoy watching Tom delete a bunch of those files. It's like, yes, down with these weird files. We don't know what's <laughs> going on. And um, if anything, if anybody wants to do a bit of cleanup, wants to do a little bit of, you know, tech debt mm -hmm. uh, auditing of your uh, projects, I will say um, this migration process is definitely a good time to do it. Um, like, like, 
Farm discovered so much of this legacy code that was like workarounds for Xamarin Forms 2.0 and was like right. not even used anymore, but it was still hanging around, you know, in a in a large code base, which happens. It's not anyone's fault, but this is definitely a good chance to like, you know, just stop, do some spring cleaning, get rid of some stuff, see if any of these workarounds are still needed in your code base anymore. So uh, I think overall, I think it's a very healthy thing to do any in general for your code bases. And if you want to use the migration process to do this as well, all the power to you, friends, you should definitely do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nice. I think once we got the iOS app running, I would say 90% of the things, the UI rendering issues we've seen so far are because of a custom renderer. So after the first couple, you know, every time I go to a new page and see a problem, a UI issue in the app, I think, okay, there's got to be custom render for this. And sure enough, there is. <laughs> so we got to, you know, tweak that or, you know, migrate it to a handler. So that's, it's definitely a good thing to clean up. If you're thinking about migration in the future, you have some time. Nice. And I was going to bring that up to Wiki too. I mean, it sounded like Tommy, you were able to clean a bunch of stuff up, you know, get rid of your tech debt. And usually I take all the chances I can get oh, yeah. to introduce tech debt, but you went the <laughs> other way. So good for you. Good for you. So yeah, let's talk well, about we, the first time you were actually to get it up and run. What did you think about it? I mean, any major UI changes that were there? Or just how did you feel when it was there? When it, you, you mean you got that first migration done and oh man, I was fived it and it ran. <laughs> yeah, I think I was on the call with Sweeky at the time when it finally built. And we we're both like, oh my goodness, we're through the build air onion now. It built. And it ran. And apart from like the weird, you know, render issues with pages, you know, we were, we were using page renders for all kinds of crazy stuff that we didn't need to. But apart from that, it ran very well. I mean, we were kind of curious how the, the retargeted bindings from Mapbox worked because we didn't have a lot of time to, to test that too extensively. Um, so far, mm-hmm. the map has been really performant. Um, we're going through right now and cleaning up some of the UI things, but I was very pleased as far as just seeing it run, you know, being able to access other parts of the app. Um, one thing that's also a hurdle when you're, you think about third-party dependencies is some of these libraries have re-implemented things now that they support .NET 6. So one of the big example was our Auth0 library we were using for login. That was completely implemented from the ground up. So we had to re-implement that first in order for us to get the login so we could see the, you know, most of the app UI too. So those are the things that, that happen that you don't expect the extra work that you don't realize at, at the front. Well, that's really interesting that you didn't re-implement it using Azure B2C and you kept it with Auth0. Yeah, very that's interesting. Just, well, we've <laughs> got a very deep Polaris authentication that we share with other I mean, authentication's a whole can of worms and I would have introduced a bunch of other stuff. But, <laughs> but no, 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 Matt, don't forget, MSAL does have MAUI support now. Go check out their docs That's and they true. have updated That's... GitHub samples. I just rec- showed that stuff to a customer last week. So yeah, yeah. Yep. I especially <laughs> liked MSAL when I could use it in uh, App Center. That was pretty mm. sweet. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Let's uh moment of silence for App Center. <laughs> oh boy. What's that portion of App Center? That portion. Oh, um what was I going to say? I was going to say that uh so we talked a lot of stuff uh before we quickly move to maybe just like uh I want to give Tom like a chance to just give everyone like a high level now that his iOS app is done, what learnings would he share? But just before you go into that, um uh Tom 
10 second quick what is the build onion and how did we have uh, lots of like hair pulling experiences with that and uh, yes how how uh, just quick review on that experience on the build onion yeah maybe this is obvious to some but you know the build is a process so you don't get all the build errors at once so it ended up being like this this onion where you would fix a section of, of errors. And, and usually they kind of came in like clumps. Like the first set of errors you would get would be all namespace changes that you had to do. And you could do those pretty quickly in, you know, VS Code doing a find replace. And then you would get like, you know, maybe you'd start with 150 errors and you would fix all those. And then you would think you were done, but then you would build and the build would get to the next section and you'd get like 300 more errors <laughs> that you have to work through. So it was just like a little bit at a time and it, it, it can be kind of demoralizing, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So if you're in the middle of the build on the end right now, it, it will get better. And someday it'll just work and it will build and run and it'll be amazing. But be prepared for that. That onion. <laughs> Nice. I never heard it called the build onion or the air onion before. It totally makes sense. And, yeah, yeah, Tom said that and I loved it. I was like, oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yep. yeah, and it gets <laughs> easier too, I think. You know, you start to see patterns and familiar errors or maybe just a different API use in a different way. So you get good at, at recognizing those and fixing those problems too. So I would recommend writing those down when you fix one because you're going to come back to it, you know, a couple layers later. I think the worst, I think maybe five was the deepest we got. On the portable project, five layers of errors, I think, total. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. And then one was like, uh, so um, if anyone comes across this, Tom hit this too, and it's a file, if you search on the uh, Mavi GitHub, you see. So if you get a bunch of XAML C000000 errors, that's probably because there is a uh, dependency package or you have like a XAML forms reference NuGet package somewhere in your project. So you want to go through and just check maybe there's no transitive package that's pulling in Xamarin form somewhere, but that's probably it. So if once you get rid of those, all the different like Xamarin forms packages in your project, that error goes away. So Tom had like a hundred of those, which we turns out there was like a package that was pulling in Xamarin forms uh, right. as a transitive dependency. We deleted that NuGet package and all the errors were done and the app started building. Yeah, yeah, we kind of carried those through the layers. And even though we deleted the, the NuGet package, you know, in the Solution Explorer, there's still a reference for it in the project file. So it's always good to look through there, those project files and, and see if you got something hanging out. That was kind of uh, obnoxious for a while. If you could give any tips for people, Tom, other than our build money and writing everything down so you can go back through and, uh, you know, fix other things when they come, pop back up. What else, any advice that you give folks when they're starting their migration journey? Small apps, big apps, any type of apps? Yeah. Um, I would say start early. Um, you know, initially we were looking at the Xamarin Forms um, obsolescence date, which is May next year, 2024. And we thought, well, maybe it's not so bad to be obsolete for a little bit. Maybe we could make this a 2024 project, you know. And, and now, in hindsight, we know if we had started in 2024, we would have hit the April deadline already. You know, we wouldn't be out of the App Store or wouldn't be able to submit to the App Store. So I think that's my best advice is, is get started because you don't know how long the process is going to be. So get started early. Um, I think now is a great time to get started. Um, initially, we, we ran into some Visual Studio tooling issues and stuff that we had to work around, but all that stuff has gotten much better uh, through this process, too. So that's my first tip, I guess. Start early. Obviously, yeah, that's uh, always a good tip because you never know what you're going to run into. Plus, there's always the, and there's always, 
something else where people are on vacation or something mm-hmm. else comes up where you have to, you know, priorities switch around. So that's always, that's a really good tip. And so let me ask you this, Tom, and Sweeky, maybe you might have a little more experience with this. Do you think GitHub Copilot would have helped at all? Because I'm interested to see how Copilot would have, would work with Maui, right? Because yeah, how much mm. data does uh, Copilot have to train with on Maui? So I'll leave this to both of you. What do you think? Copilot help with Maui? I haven't used it yet. I've only used I've only used ChatGPT. But someone mentioned that to me the other day. Like, could it? You know, if you could give it all the files in your solution, could it maybe weed out the wrong namespaces for you instead mm-hmm. of doing a find replace? Um, I guess it depends on how many tokens you can submit. But that's kind of what the upgrade assistant did for us, though, on a yeah. project mm-hmm. structure basis. Um, Another area too is sometimes we had to re-implement some code. Like trying to think of a simple example was like maybe device on main thread, that class Mm -hmm. or that API had changed slightly. So maybe you could have plugged that in and found a a different implementation. But usually I think we did Googling for that stuff. (laughs) I mean, or the .NET API browser, which saved us a bunch of searching. Um, Yeah. And uh, I mean, like I kind of treat upgrade assistant as a co-pilot you know you know it like kind of does a lot of the work but um i think it would be awesome if we could figure out a way for co-pilot to actually do a little bit more of the heavy lifting um like i'm sure like some of the rewriting of course it, like honestly my dream situation is co- like co-pilot like github co-pilot just rewrites all the custom renderers oh mm. man that would be ideal um but uh yeah i think there is potential i have actually used copilot to just write like blank maui apps and like do just basic stuff for me and it's pretty good it is like it implements http clients better than i do so now i just like let copilot just write all that stuff for me i don't even think anymore um right. so um it's it's i think it's got a lot of potential and it'll be exciting to see what we can do in the future with it um like right now though um at least for me, I'm more focused on getting our documentation, you know, up to date, making sure everything that used to have a Xamarin doc has like a Maui version of the doc. So people are not getting freaked out when they're trying to upgrade. I want to make this process as easy and as smooth for everyone as possible. Uh, like all the customers like Tom and we're working with a bunch of every, like, and other customers and everyone using the upgrade assistant. Please, please, please keep giving us your feedback, letting us know what works, what doesn't work so we can keep improving the tool. We do want to make upgrades as easy as possible for everyone. So um, that's uh, that's where I'm focused. So yeah, if GitHub Copilot is something we can leverage to make this experience better, I am all for it. So Yeah, I, yeah. I'm going to give that a try. I'm really interested in that renders to handlers idea because mm-hmm. we have some that are... Pretty simple. The simple ones we've been trying to delete altogether, but it might be really interesting to see what happens when you try and convert one of those to handle. Mm-hmm, That'd mm-hmm. be cool. For sure. Good. I'm, see, Tom, and this is why you got to start early on your project because now I just sent you down this total tangent that doesn't <laughs> do you. So. Well, I know you have to sprinkle in some AI probably with every podcast. It's probably on your <laughs> podcaster checklist. So I, I understand why you don't yeah. need that. <laughs> Oh yeah. my goodness, you've been listening in on meetings. Weekly, <laughs> <laughs> Sweeky mentioned this too, you know, but the .NET API browser became an awesome tool for just understanding the API changes. You know, like so many things, just small things change between um, how you were using .NET in, in Xamarin and how you're using it now in .NET 6 or 7. So just understanding that documentation at that level was, was really key 
Um, there were probably, you know, several dozen areas of code that we just had to rewrite slightly. Um, so, so that's a good advice to, to get that. Um, another tip too is I'm kind of a jump in and see what happens person, but there's a lot of good docs like, like Suki's been mentioning. So I would say if you're going to start, read through all the Microsoft docs you can first and get a good handle on, on the steps because they've done a pretty good job of outlining the major things you need to watch out for and that will save you a little hardship. Um, you know, we mentioned that once we ran the app, 90% of it was custom render stuff that we ran into. The other 10% or maybe 20% was code that I migrated um, while I was doing the, the app migration that didn't quite work correctly. Or we had one where the timers implementation was different and you can't stop a timer. So we had this timer that was running every millisecond forever <laughs> and just <laughs> killing our app. So stuff like that, like if you're making changes before the app builds, right, you're migrating code, making code changes, put a comment in there or give yourself a to-do somewhere to look at that again, because a lot of those didn't quite work the same as we thought, because you couldn't really test it in that moment, right? You're, you're going to be in this position where you don't have an app that builds for, for several weeks, potentially at a time. So depending on the size. So give yourself a note because chances are you might want to rethink that implementation later. Cool. And uh, so as we were talking, so iOS is done. And so I'd imagine Android is up next. And so how are you feeling about that time? Yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm interested to try um, the upgrade assistant again, run that through the Android project. Um, I think we've learned so much um, going to the iOS one that I am hoping it'll be a little more straightforward. Um, you know, the bulk of our code too is shared in that shared project, you know, 80, 90% of it. So we've already got that migrated too. So I think the platform code on the Android side is, is much smaller in comparison too. So I'm optimistic. I'm an, I'm an optimistic person though too. So that can sometimes <laughs> be a problem. Don't ask me for timelines. <laughs> <laughs> Another reason to start early. Yeah, <laughs> it totally. Only take I mean, five days. <laughs> yeah, but it's been a great learning experience too. You know, sometimes people are worried about, well, when when's the right time to jump in here? And I would say, I would say, go for it. Sweetie, how are you feeling about the Android migration? Oh, in my head, it's done. So um, I think uh, I'm just waiting on Tom to just be like, yeah, look, this is the app running. Uh, but no, like uh, like Tom like Tom mentioned, um, the portable code was like the biggest, uh, the portable project was the biggest chunk because that's how Xamarin works and that's how Maui works. So with that out of the way, honestly, I don't think he's going to have as bad of a time as it was with iOS. Um, the, and like he said, the platform code is not that much. And now we know exactly what to look for, um, the build onion to expect, which renderers he may have to look, look out for. So I think it's going to be a much, much smoother process. And the documentation like has been improving. The tooling has been improving in this whole process. So it's just been easier and easier um, through the process. So, yeah, I think mm -hmm. uh, I think it's going to be a great experience for Tom. Yeah. One thing that's been really delightful, too, is just to, to see some of the Maui controls come a little bit further. Like, I cannot tell you how much custom renderer and effect code we have written over the last six years to put a drop shadow exactly where we want and to follow around a corner. It is unbelievable. And I just deleted all that stuff a couple of weeks ago because now we can add a drop shadow to any visual element. I mean, boom, amazing. Like, don't tell our designers because they're going to jump all over this. But <laughs> stuff like that has been really cool to find, too. <laughs> That's great. So, Tom or Sweeky, anything more to add before we wrap this up? No, I'm... I think this whole, I think, I hope everyone got to learn as much as Tom and I did in this process. Um, yeah, just keep a lookout for the docs and let us know how Upgrade Assistant is doing for you. And yep, uh, 
start early i agree with tom and uh, yep look out look and look and get up look for docs uh, there's plenty of resources now uh, you should be able to like get started get 90 or even 100% of the way uh, i think today mm-hmm. with your migrations yeah i think just you know the only advice i can give are, are logistics you know the technology piece of it is is really not that that too difficult once you once you figure out a couple solutions for some tricky problems but i would say you know once you go through the migration you're going to have lots of to do items that that pop up i would say make sure you have a good list or put those in you know your your card system or whatever to to go back to later and that can help other people on the project get involved too and jump in on those to do items because you will definitely forget about them um and then the last thing too is there are certain areas that you will change or maybe you'll reimplement something like auth for instance make sure and write down areas that qa needs to test specifically um we're pretty close to having a build for our qa team and they need to test certain areas that we have changed so we want to make sure that they know what to test so they can accurately you know give us um reports and create bugs on other items we're going to want to clean up before app release right on well sweeky and tom thank you so much for showing for telling us all about the upgrade that you went through i mean it's really great for all our listeners to know about this too and uh this invaluable invaluable knowledge so and with that said would love for everybody to subscribe to the .NET Poly Maui podcast. Did you guys know that we are on Spotify? You do now. So Spotify, iTunes, wherever you can get your podcasts, subscribe, listen. And with that said, this is the .NET Maui podcast.